We need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Oh, welcome back, dear listener. Yes, the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast, episode 363. Welcome aboard if you're in the chat room. A little bit of late notice about the event. I managed to sneak that in just after seven. So if you're in the chat room, say hello. I'm Trevor, the Iron Fist. With me as always, Joe, the tech guy. How are you going, Joe? Evening all. So, so tonight we'll be talking about a little bit about Twitter, robo-debt, industrial relations. So that's sort of it's the Australian type of stories. Then I found some interesting stuff about renewable energy storage. We've talked in the past about hydro storage, so found an interesting article about how much hydro sort of storage we need and different information about that, which I found interesting. A bit about USA midterm updates and just the USA generally and can't have a podcast these days without talking about China and maybe Venezuela with a bit of luck and maybe CIA propaganda, depending how we go. So just something new. There's this company called Vizzy which makes it easy to create podcast chapters. So I tried it out last week. If you downloaded the episode... Not the cardboard place then. Uh, yeah, not the cardboard place, different one. And if you, in this episode, dear listener, look at your podcast app and if it's uh, Apple Podcasts, you'll see it and various other ones do now where there'll be chapters. And so for the various topics, you can see chapters. And if you think... I've listened to Trevor bang on about China way too much and I just want to skip that section. Well, you can just look at the chapters and, and skip it. We can go back and jump around. So I'm going to introduce that and see how it goes and you might even see images on your app as well. So I introduced it last week. If you downloaded the episode really quickly, then it didn't appear. It was after a couple of days I played around. So it did appear in, in last week's episode. I tried chapters years ago, but the technology, there weren't that many apps that showed it and it was difficult to do. But anyway, there's this new thing that I'm going to try. So look out for chapters and you can navigate what we talk about and skip bits and whatever or listen to stuff that you found really interesting. You'll want to listen to it twice. Yeah. So in the chat room, we've got Joel and James. Good on you. Say hello and uh, we'll keep going. So yeah, it's chapters. Have a look at your podcast app and see if you can see some there. Right. Just going to talk briefly about Twitter and Twitter was really good in the lead up to the last federal election because people were so over Scott Morrison that it was it was full of interesting stuff. It sort of died down a little bit in terms of interesting stuff, but most of the stuff there now is complaining about Elon Musk and there was this great little exchange. There was a, a Twitter handle called Christmas and this person sort of tweeted at Elon Musk saying, I don't want to be Christmas forever, Elon Musk. Please help, I've made a mistake, meaning he wanted to change his name from Christmas. And uh, got a reply from Elon Musk saying, you should be able to change your name now. And the same person who was Christmas then replied as Elon Musk and said thank you, which was just... Top marks for hilarity. So, yeah, just sort of demonstrated the silliness of this whole 
situation with Twitter and these blue ticks and grey ticks and the thoughtlessness that's going on with Elon Musk. So well played, sir. The guy who was Christmas turned into Elon Musk. Well played. <laughs> have, you, have you not seen the number of people who got banned from Twitter for, for doing changing their name to Elon Musk? Yes. After being blue tick verified? Yes. Well, you know, for that particular screenshot that he got before mm-hmm. he got you know, cancelled, it was worth it. Yeah. So just on the strategy of what he's up to, just reading from an article from The Intercept, which goes on to say that Musk immediately discovered that advertisers hate freewheeling, raucous political debate. Josh Marshall, the founder of Talking Points Memo, explained this cogently in a recent article about his experience running an outlet devoted to politics. And he said that advertisers don't want to be near controversy. And Indeed, they don't even want to be near things that are upsetting or agitating, and that is why all political and political news media face an inverse premium in advertising because the content is inherently polarising. So any content that's basically got politics in it is going to be polarising. He says, you can show the same ad to the same people the same amount of times and you'll get more money if the content is fashion or parenthood or entertainment safe topics than if it's politics. And this is apparently a bedrock rule of advertising that ties in, in amongst political content. It's just not effective. I, I know that for the people who've monetized YouTube, depending on how much of a premium advertisers are willing to pay, you get paid per view differently depending on what your content is deemed to be ah so when this show on youtube is getting hundreds of thousands of watches mm-hmm. will get less than a show that had hundreds of thousands of watches but was parenthood or i think you have or to have a thousand or something. subscribers before you can monetize right yeah we're a long way off <laughs> never gonna happen but that's interesting just political content put an ad in it and you just get it's less effective interesting even with the same people. So it's not about demographics, it's just the way people react to ads when it's mixed in amongst political stuff. So so it goes on to say that is why Twitter was the way it was before Musk bought it, not meaning they were sort of cleaning it up and, and censoring it to some extent, not because of the politics of its staff, but because advertisers demanded it. Likewise, it's now why advertising has fallen off a cliff. So a real problem there for Musk with advertising and Twitter. And the other thing then about subscriptions. So according to some reports, he wants to make the subscriptions at least 50% of the revenue. And it says again in this article, why would anyone pay for Twitter? One answer would be to see fewer ads except people who are willing to pay for Twitter are going to be the audience that advertisers most want to reach, namely heavy users with money. This is why Twitter's specialists crunched the numbers and informed Musk that Twitter would plausibly lose money on many $8 a month subscribers. So it's really tricky. The very people that you would want to keep watching advertising are the very people likely to pay the $8 and not watch mm-hmm. it, and therefore I wonder it's a how conundrum. YouTube Premium, whatever it's called, YouTube Red, 
Right. Work, works because you pay basically a subscription and then you don't see ads. Correct. Yep. So good point. So I would have thought that would be exactly the same thing. Yeah. True. Mind you, I think it's twenty or twenty-five dollars. Maybe that's a difference. I don't know. Good point, but you're right. It is the same sort of thing. Mm. So mm. Oh, you can install ad blocking software on your mm. browser. Right. That's the other way. And then watch watch YouTube without the ads. That's what you do when you're a tech guy. <laughs> is it Joe? Is that what you've got? Right. Simple enough. Right. Just add a plug in. Okay. Tell me about it later. Mm-hmm. By the way, dear listener, Joe's a wannabe. Well, not a wannabe. You used to do ham radio, you're telling me, before we fired up. And eventually yeah, you'd yeah, like I've to get into a license. So I'm just not active. You need a license to be a ham radio operator. Yeah, you need to pass a, an exam on technical theory because you can build your own transmitter. So in theory, you can cause large amounts of interference. Ah. And. Over here, it's up to 400 watts. In America, it's 1,500 watts. Right. Which is a lot of power. Yep. And historically, you used to be able, you used to have to be able to understand Morse code. In the UK, the license was 12 words a minute. And that was if a commercial station came up on frequency and told you you were interfering with them, you needed to be able to understand them to be able to shut down at their request. And is that, did that ever happen to you? No. Right. Did you ever hear of it happening where people were messaged no, in Morse code? It, it, it was a historical because it was a hobby and there were commercial users. Yep. They said, all right, for it to be valid worldwide, it was an international, it was under the, the international radio agreements that any amateurs who operated need to understand Morse code so that they could be told by a commercial station to shut down because they were causing interference. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, and ideally, if you set up your ham radio again, mm-hmm. without being crazy, the height of the antenna would be how high? About twenty meters. Yeah. So. Okay, it's a good. It's as I uh, said, it's a good hobby because when the zombie apocalypse arrives, you you guys will be rescuing civilization. That's mm-hmm. in every zombie book that I've ever read. It was the ham operators who kept things together. It, it was also in who was the Hitchcock? Mm. There was the the teenage boys Hitchcock mysteries, the Hardy Brothers. Right. Okay. The Hardy Boys. They had a ham radio. Yeah. Yeah. Travel around the world doing exciting things. There we go. Well, dear listener, if there is the zombie apocalypse and everything just goes to shit and the whole world collapses, we'll still be able to run this podcast on a ham radio. Look out for it. <laughs> All right, back to the topics. Oh, the other thing you can do, I found, uh, you can do a search which will tell you of the people you're following on Twitter who has actually paid for their blue tick. And it's sort of like a, a dickhead filter, really, I would have thought in many ways. So, so I ran the search on my Twitter page and the only one who came up as having paid for their blue tick was Drew Pav- Pavlau. Pavlo, Pavlao, he's the guy who's always going on about the Chinese and he was in the, in the UK and it's, he's a troublemaker for the Chinese who I follow. Because, dear listener, I like to get a broad cross-section. It's not all one bubble I'm listening to. So, well, I thought that was pretty good of all the people I followed. He was the only one who paid for it. So. Yeah, I, I follow about five people, so when I tried it, no one came up. There you go. All right. The 
the search you can use will be in the show notes for that. So that was Drew. And yeah, lots of tech companies, Joe, laying off lots of staff. So Mm. Meta, Facebook has laid off 11,000 people, maybe 13% of their workforce. Twitter, supposedly up to 50%. And others like Amazon getting rid of 10,000 yeah. people? Like, Did you hear about Twitter? Uh, which they, be- they sent, uh, there was a whole load of sackings. Mm-hmm. And then apparently there were some emails going out very rapidly afterwards going, oh, actually, not you. You're right. <laughs> what a mess. So it sounds, like, there's a, there's a sounds like there's an awful lot of confusion there. It just goes to. And the other thing was apparently they were. They were measuring programmers by the number of lines of code written. Yes. Yep. Which, if you know anything, it, it's kind of like measuring a safety inspector on the number of safety inspections he does. Yes. And it's really not a good it's not a good output to measure. No, it could have been a thousand lines of crap. And exactly. On, yes. So, just goes to show you can be the richest or the nearly the richest man in the world, and it can be through dumb luck and, and and psychopathic tendencies in a particular area that you happen to be in. Yeah, yeah I think lots of people are realising that maybe he isn't the mm. brilliant engineer that everyone thought he was. Mm. Well, brilliant in one area, but hopeless in another, perhaps. So, And Zuckerberg, Facebook is in real trouble. Its sizes are complaining because Apple switched off some sort of facility that allowed data sharing which made it easier for advertisers. Historically, everything you did on a browser, Facebook could plant a cookie, track what you were doing by having a unique ID that was tied to your phone. Mm -hmm. And so they could stalk you wherever you went on the internet. Uh, And Apple have blocked that. Yep. Uh, And Facebook were crying to Apple about it, saying, how dare you do this? And Apple said, well, actually, no, we're the ones who are going to sell off our customers' data, not you. Yep. Mm. And basically turned off the tap that allowed Facebook to stalk their users. Mm. And apparently it's made a huge difference to the effectiveness mm. of the advertising. And, and don't think if you're not on Facebook that you're safe from being stalked by Facebook because uh-huh. they they create shadow users. So effectively they can infer your relationship to other people. So... If you're not a Facebook user but you're doing things on the internet, they will still track you and then track your interactions with Facebook users and basically work out who you are from your interactions. Wow. So even if you don't have a Facebook account, you could still be in their database and sold to advertisers. Wow. Didn't know that. Yeah. I might get myself one of those ham radios, Joe. I don't think... (laughs) Zuckerberg can't tap into me there, surely. Remember, if, <laughs> Every... if it's free, generally you are the product. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. Did not know that. Wow. So anyway, that's Facebook. Tough times for those large IT companies, and I don't think it's going to improve anytime soon. And I've been hanging around Mastodon, having a look around there, and as we were talking about before, it's sort of part of the Fediverse of these interconnected facilities that are all hosted by volunteers and others. And 
could be the way things end up going. So we'll see how that works out. But I'm sort of hanging around there, sniffing around, seeing what it's like. If anybody's in the chat room and has found us via Mastodon, put your hand up. Who's in the chat room, by the way? Still uh, Bronman's there, Don and Joel still there. Joel. Mm-hmm. All right. RoboDebt, that's been in the news not much as it should be, certainly not in mainstream media as much. I've been kind of waiting for a decent article to really get into it. And I did it, see something about somebody who got paid $200,000 to supervise it, mm. was claiming to the Royal Commission that she knew nothing about it. Yes. So Rick Morton writes for Swartz Media Saturday Paper. He's done very, very good stuff, almost too good. It's so forensic. I'm looking for a more summary version of the whole fiasco. But essentially what it boils down to is people's commitments uh, with social services was designed to look at their their fortnightly income and as that varied, so were their commitments. And for a lot of people, their fortnightly income bounces around, up and down, all over the place. And this scheme just basically said, oh, well, we're just going to look at the tax records and average their income out and then mm-hmm. just and made an assumption of even income, which was clearly just never going to be the case and was clearly illegal because that's not how the, the act worked. You had to look at each individual fortnightly time frame and figure out people's obligations at that time. And yeah, doing that is hard. Yes. You couldn't – well, that was the whole point. They wanted to just automate it and, mm-hmm. and Scott Morrison could see money flow into the government coffers as a result and being the no, arsehole. No, you, you, missed, you missed the important part. Mm. It was about punishing poor people. Well, that's right. This is the, the goddamn Christian Pentecostals have – if you're poor, it's because Jesus hasn't favoured you. You must be some inherently bad, lazy person and screw you. Like, they've got no sympathy for poor people, this, this modern version of, of muscular evangelical Christian. They're a nasty mob and, yeah, all sorts of nasty stuff going on there. Good on Labor for having a commission to look into it and it's just a sad story of people who were faced with terrible debt collectors. Thank you, Mr Abbott, for opening Mm. the doors to doing royal commissions on your opponents. Yes. Yes, because he started with the pink... Pink bats. Yeah. Anyway, some pretty sad stories of of people who were faced with threats from debt collectors for tens Mm. and tens of thousands of dollars. People who were handed to the point of committing suicide. Yeah. Terrible stuff. So cruel... Really cruel. And uh, anyway, at the end of this commission, there'll be a list of culprits, hopefully. Not not enough people pay the price. They're shameless, these people, and and Mm. they get away with all sorts of stuff. Hopefully, even if they're just named and their reputation is ruined, hopefully that will happen. We'll see. Well, but if it ruins their reputation, because it seems that doing something shameful is no longer... You're a problem. Yep. Just move on and get another cushy job somewhere is what often happens, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Mm. The other topic, actually, where I can't find much on 
or something for a useful summary was in relation to the Industrial Relations Bill that I think has gone through the House and is now going to the Senate and they're now haggling with some of the independent senators doing a bit of horse trading to see what they can agree to here. So the changes are that it makes to industrial relations is makes job security and gender pay equity explicit goals of the Act, prohibits sexual harassment and requirements that workers keep their pay secret. That's an interesting one. So mm-hmm. I've never really been in a position where I've needed to know what my co-workers' pay was, but any experience with that, Joe, of people swapping details about their pay so that they could... I, working for government departments, I've been on a known salary. You're a level X, level 5, level 6 or whatever. Everyone knows, okay, that's what you get. Yeah. Yeah, and, and we had a number of years of seniority, so you got paid increases after uh, so many years. Mm. But aside from that, no, everyone was on a fixed mm. amount. The, the idea is that, in theory, if pay negotiations are secret, everyone negotiates what they're worth, mm. but realistically, the people who are most able to walk from job to job command the biggest pay rises, and those who are willing to negotiate hard yes. and not everyone is typically men one of the reasons for males being paid more i believe was just because they were more likely to be aggressive bargain. and bargain yeah. and actually thought of themselves as worth more as well yes. kind of inherently a gender thing and i would say that extroverts probably negotiate harder than introverts yes. yeah but if you're in a workforce in that position what's the downside in not sharing your income like i reckon it's not like, say you're with five or six people in a similar, you think are all about the same as you and you're curious. If you were to agree to sort of swap information about your salaries, what, what's the downside? If there is a fixed pool of remuneration, yes. then if they're negotiating up, then there isn't as much for you to negotiate. Right. But is there a fixed pool like, is it ever fixed? Yeah, well, my employer right. basically says there is a pool of X for this department. Oh, okay. So it's it's basically down to the employer to fit as many people in. Okay. I'm thinking of a law firm. I'm thinking of, you know, you're not a partner, you're some sort of just employed, salaried lawyer. And mm. I reckon they should all just get together somewhere and swap information because then they'll know what's possible. It's not like the people on the higher level are going to have their salaries dropped. It's just that the ones on the lower level are going to know that they can get an increase. So for that situation, I would have thought you should do it. In the chat room, anybody ever sort of swapped sort of income information with a co-worker and had a successful or unsuccessful sort of result out of that? Shailene says bullshit. I don't know what the bullshit was about, Shailene. Was it something I said or, or what? I'm guessing the bullshit was to do with that people knowing your salary is bad. Right. Okay. I'm sure she'll expand on it shortly. So anyway, under these changes, requirements that workers, so prohibits sort of employers trying to stop workers from keeping their pay secret and strengthens the rights of workers with family responsibilities to request flexible working hours and abolish the Australian Building and Construction Commission. I, I think the flexible working hours is more a presumption of yes. Mm. 
and the employer has to provide reasons why not mm. rather than the other way around. Mm. So I haven't seen a great summary of that yet and what it all means. Maybe Shay will make a guest appearance down the track. Mm-hmm. Tell us all about it, Shay. You're probably across all this. So, yeah. So anyway, that's what's happened. Robo-debt and industrial relations. So, oh, here we go. Shay says, it's inherently sexist to presume blokes just get paid more because they are better at bargaining. Baloney. I don't know this. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they're better at it. I'd say they're more likely to engage in it. I think is what I read somewhere, but or more likely to argue about their pay. But Chase saying that's baloney as a theory. Okay, fair enough. You're probably right, Shay. Right. Of course, in response to the industrial relations bill, all sorts of industry spokespeople come out. And there was an article by Belinda Jones in Independent Australia where she names these people. Innes Willox of the Australian Industry Group, Jennifer Westercott from the Business Council of Australia. You'd see her all the time, that one in particular, Jennifer Westercott. Steve Knott from the Australian Chamber of Commerce, Danita Warren, MBA from the Master Builders Association and Tony Marr from the National Farmers Federation. So according to this writer, Belinda Jones, these five spokespeople, spokespersons, get trotted out all the time and make statements in front of the the media and give the employer's side of the story, which invariably, of course, they're representing the employer side of the story. It's going to be outrage at how much this is going to cost business and eventually cost jobs and, you know, paint a negative approach to it. So it's a good point. Despite it being record profits. Yes. But, you know, this is it's a bit like with religion. There's full-time mm. PR people like the John Dick, Dickens of the world, Dickinson, Dickens, can't remember his name, but they've oh, yeah. got nothing else to do but Ring up ABC, offer themselves as an interview subject. Isn't it Dixon? Dixon, yeah. And the same with these guys. It's their job to contact these media people and make these statements, whereas well, I guess there's a union. Where are the union? Where's our, where's our Bob Hawke? This is where sort of Bob Hawke was the guy who came out and spoke on behalf of the union movement and the workers in these situations. What wasn't the... Oh. TGWU used to regularly be on these. I can't think of a particular player in the same way that I can think of. I always see that Jennifer Westercott everywhere. So on Q&A and all sorts of places. And I think if you're looking at the UK at the moment where they've got those railway strikes happening Mm -hmm. and, you know, you've got Mick Lynch who is a real sort of spokesperson for the working class of the UK at the moment and really taking on the UK equivalents of the Jennifer Westercotts in these panel discussions and absolutely murdering them. Mm-hmm. And uh, where's Australia's... Manus was who I was Actually, she is mentioned. good. I will say I have seen her on things and you're right, Sally McManus. And, yeah, she, she would be the one. We need more of them. Anyway, and I think... Well, we need them to... Be, I'm sure they're out there. It's just... Mm getting on to media. And even the ABC, even while, I mean, obviously Sky News and the Murdoch Press are just going to reach out business interests and 
sure. and, and, and not reach out to the others. Even the ABC, I think, is very lazy on these things and they'll get approached by these people and they think, oh, well, come on, we'll talk to you. It's easy for their producers to find these people and put them on than to find other mm-hmm. people. So that's just one of the inherent problems when it's like the atheist movement can't afford to pay people to be full-time advocates for atheism as opposed to Christian groups. The unions groups. can afford. And yeah, the unions can. They should be doing a better job at it. Yeah. Tony McManus, full mark, she's very good. Need more of them. Shay agrees with me, I think. So we've had yeah. a bullshit and an I agree out of Shay in the chat room. I'll keep going and see how the strike rate goes. <laughs> Good to hear from you, Shay. Until Shay gets so angry that she throws the computer across the room. Yeah, she wouldn't do that. Yeah. Just also the independents in the House were voting on this stuff. So that's showing the true colours of some of the teal in independents. I, I thought it was a known thing that the teals were liberals just with a bit of climate change. Mm. That was it. Well, it's it's sort of sorting them out a little bit. So Zoe Daniel and Monique Ryan voted in favour of the bill, along with Bob Catter, Andrew Wilkie and the Greens. So the ones who voted against the industrial relations changes were Sophie Scamps, Helen Haynes, Kate Cheney, Zali Stegall and Alexandra Spender. So certainly Stegall and Spender should always have been viewed as really blue-blood liberals who just couldn't handle the craziness of the current Liberal Party but in all other respects are liberals and basically showing yeah. their colours there. So, so yeah, and also Rebecca Sharkey and, and Di Lay Le. Anyway. That's interesting that this bill has sorted out a little bit about these teals as to which side of the fence right or left they might really belong. Romlin says, yes, that's why it's teal, blue with a bit of green added, otherwise Mm. blue, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that was always my assumption was that they were liberal Mm. just without the climate craziness. Yeah. Robin in the chat room says Paul Sivret. Paul Sivret was a... He was actually like a reporter in the Murdoch press and he's gone to work for one of the unions. I see him on social media, but I don't see him saying a lot on general mass media. Robin, but yeah. It's a good Channel Islands name, Sivray. It's a, is that the name of a Channel Island, is it? No, no, no. It's a common surname in the Channel Islands. Oh, is it? Okay. Mm. Okay. He's a friend of yours, isn't he, Robin? I'd like to meet Paul Sivray one day. I think he'd be an interesting guy. He's down the coast there somewhere. Okay, so we had a little mini budget, and after the budget, the cost of living increased by 7.3% over the past year, apparently. But did it? So maybe instead of 7.3, it was only 6.7 or only 6.4. And What is the confusion all about? Well, according to Ross Gittins, he says that 7.3 is the rise in the consumer price index. And that's typically the sort of figure that we've worked off in our heads as to how much have prices increased over the last whatever period. But he says there's 
in addition to the consumer price index, there's always been a living cost index, which for various household types, whether you're a young family or a retired couple or something like that. So this living cost index has always been there, but not really talked about. And we've mentioned before about GDP, Joe, and how GDP is such a bad measure of... It's not consistent. Yes, economic activity. Just the very idea of it is is not good, but the variations between different countries in how they measure GDP, and we went extensively through Australia versus the USA in terms of housing costs and how GDP is quite different. Well... Consumer Price Index, before 1998, the CPI, it used to include interest on mortgages, but the Reserve Bank asked for a change because they didn't want the measure of inflation to go up every time it raised interest rates to get inflation down. Not on them. (laughs) So they're saying, hang on a minute, we're raising interest rates in order to get inflation down but in your inflation calculation, you're including mortgage rates. So that's just not working for us. So, this, so the statisticians said, okay, we'll take out mortgage rates. And effectively, they put in the cost of building a new house rather than mortgage rates. But that's a really... do that all the time. Yeah. Well, this is the point that he makes in the article is how many people... Lots of people never build a house. And how many people build one once in a blue moon? Like the cost of building a house is not a good indicator to use. Whereas everybody, well, not everybody, but far more people are actually paying interest on a mortgage. So if you're really wanting to get a reflection of how has the cost of living in Australia changed in the last 12 months, you're probably better off looking at the cost of living index rather than the consumer price index. There you go. So that was an interesting one by Ross Gittins. And, okay, wanting to do a good story for a change, NDIS. So Dylan Alcott is kind of like a spokesperson, I guess, for the NDIS. And he was at a interview, a press conference, and I think this is going to demonstrate the value of having, I mean, I want to say a regular guy, but re- regular in the sense not ensconced in a labour union or in a law firm or... Uh, he's, the public. he's had a life. Yeah, he's had a life. And anyway, have a listen to this, this clip. Hopefully it works. What do you say to those who have been rotting the NDIS? You talk today about the lawyers, a lot of money going in, in legal fees. But there are clear instances of people abusing the, the scheme. Yeah, they can go and get stuffed. Like, first and foremost, we've had four questions about the NDIS that have all been negative things about it. I'm starting by saying the NDIS is bloody awesome. Well, we commissioned an NDIS report a few months ago. The first almost half is about how good the NDIS is. You know, we talked about early intervention before. One of the things we found out about this report, for kids with early intervention on the NDIS who were under the age of six had double the amount of friends the kids who weren't. I had no friends when I was five. Like, I got goosebumps saying that. Where was, I would have loved to have the NDIS. Did you know that? Not really. You don't really read stories about that, do you? You don't talk about the economic growth of it being involved and things like that. So first and foremost, it's awesome, right? And we need to hear more stories about the good things that are happening. 
But secondly, you know, there are some dodgy people out there doing dodgy things. And we're going to find, you know, the government have already commissioned the, it's a really funny, good word, the fraud task. Fusion. Fusion fraud, fraud task force. And they're going to, that's going to find people that are doing the wrong thing. And if you are watching this and you're doing the wrong thing, you are literally taking away from a neurodiverse kid getting care. You're taking away someone with a high-level disability having a shower. You're not taking away us having fast cars and stuff like that. That is not what it's about. So remind yourself, if you are doing that, hey, you know what? I'm not going to try and do that anymore. Well, wasn't that direct language? Really well said. Yeah. Good sentiment. Yeah, please, man. Well said. Good night. That's, he's got a future um, in politics. <laughs> And then he'll join a party and they'll beat that out of him and make him talk in, in riddles. <laughs> Good on you, Dylan. Mm. Right. I don't know how I came across this article. I think it might have been John Menadue's blog about renewable energy. And so there was a couple of reports included in it. Actually, it was, was in the John Menadue blog. If you are not subscribed to the John Menadue blog, you should. Your other alternative, of course, is just to subscribe to my newsletter and you'll get it the best bits extracted anyway so go to the website ironfistvelvetglove.com.au and sign up for the newsletter three times a week a few articles and i sort of scour the internet for you so you don't have to anyway in the john menadue blog there was an article by an andrew blakers and anna nadolny Ryan Stocks, and they are from a university, I believe. Let me just actually let me just find. Whoops, I've just gone past where I wanted to go. Hang on a second. So they're from the Australian National University, and I guess the lead guy, Andrew Blakers, is Professor of Engineering at the Australian National University. So they've been looking at pumped hydro. And uh, anyway, there was a group who were from one of these reports that's in the show notes about how much. Pumped hydro storage do we need? And as a guide to storage requirements, if we're going to have 100% renewable electricity, based on analysis for Australia, is one gigawatt of power per million people with 20 hours of storage, which amounts to 20 gigawatts per million people. So essentially... In a grid like ours, which is strongly connected, it's a large area and with good wind and solar resources and high energy use, doing the math, looking at the weather systems, they can calculate that at any point, if you've got hydro backup of 20 hours of storage, then you've got a secure system. And that means you need 20 gigawatts, 20 gigawatt hours per million people. And uh, so that was the calculation they came up with. And so for Australia, that means Australia needs about 500 gigawatt hours. GWH, I think gigawatt hours, Joe? Yeah, gigawatt hours. Yeah, yep. Look, don't forget, Australia's a bit bizarre because the East Coast and West Coast are not connected. Yes. And the East Coast has got lots of great pumped hydro spots. Mm-hmm. And the West Coast, not so much, apparently. Just the geography. It's a bit flat over there. Yes. Yep. So, so, yeah. Anyway, they've given that figure for Australia. Right. 500 gigawatt hours of pumped hydro is going to be enough. And in this with article... The flux capacitor. What's that? In the flux capacitor. flux capacitor. Yeah, in yeah. the DeLorean or whatever it is. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. So... 
Now, just back to this article in the John Menadue blog by these academics, it says, of course, pumped hydro involves two dams, one high on a hill and one down in a valley with pipes and turbines connecting them. You store electricity by pumping water uphill to the upper reservoir on a sunny and windy days and you turn it back into power at night or during calm or cloudy days by letting the water flow downhill through a turbine. So it's like a giant gravity battery. So the question now is where are the best locations? Last year we released a global atlas of 600,000 greenfield locations. That was worldwide. And 4,000 of these were in Australia. So greenfield locations are where there is no existing reservoir. So they've now identified... 1,500 new Australian sites, which they call Bluefield sites. And Bluefield are locations where there's already one reservoir for some reason in place. So you only need to make one extra reservoir. It has to be built. So it's using existing reservoirs. And apparently there's 1,500 of these in this report. So none of this requires damming of major rivers. So that's also a good thing. So according to this report, because we've got so many good options, we can afford to be choosy. We can go all the way to 100% renewables while only developing the very best sites. And further on, it says same sort of thing. Oh, that 500 gigawatts hours, which was supposedly enough for Australia, that would supply all of Sydney's electricity for about four days. So think of 500 gigawatts as Sydney for four days. Let's look at some of the projects that are being considered. So there's a Kidston project in far north Queensland, two gigawatts. Snowy 2.0 pumped hydro is looking at 350 gigawatts. So consider we only need 500, 350, Snowy is sort of getting us two-thirds of the way there. Queensland's recent plans are a 50-gigawatt scheme inland from the Sunshine Coast at Burumba and the enormous 120-gigawatt Pioneer Burdekin project west of Mackay. So I think that's the one we talked about a few weeks ago as being the largest in the southern hemisphere, which was also the largest in the world. Yeah, until Snowy 2. Yeah. If it ever happens. Yeah. But I thought Snowy 2 was... There were environmental concerns about it. Yeah, so it, I guess, when they were talking about these bluefield sites, not rec- not damming an existing river, that was probably separate to this snowy one, I mm-hmm. guess, which is damming of a river, isn't it? So it must be so. Well, if it's a pumped hydro, but it's an expansion on the existing, I think. Yeah, don't know, but in any event, if Australia needs five hundred, and that uh, one west of Mackay is one hundred and twenty. That's a big mm. chunk of what's required. So, Well, if Snowy 2 and the two Queensland ones go ahead, that takes us to 520. Yeah. It's so, on their own. Mm. And there's plenty of other sites around. So if the math is correct, then it all looks possible, doesn't it? What else is in this here? It does make the comment that Western Australia is not as great because they don't have as many options, but they do have some. And, uh, yeah, link in the show notes. I thought that was a good news story. Nice to have. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And this is really quite old, solid technology. The I was chatting with a guy on Mastodon, and 
he referred me to this video about one in Tullock, Tullock Hill in Ireland and mm-hmm. a video about that. And I think that one was back in the eight. Like it's, it's sort of – They work on Split Yard Creek. Yeah, well, exactly. Yes. Shame to say. So, well, that was 1983. Got, yes. Yeah. Exactly. And this video this guy referred me to, the, the sort of – the turbines – I mean, they lasted 30 years before they needed their first overhaul or something like that. These things are really rock-solid things that just keep going. It's it's not fancy technology. It's really well-established engineering that uh, once you've paid for it and set it up, it'll just keep rocking for decades. So all good news. Mm. Any of your friends were in favour of Brexit back there, Joe? Friends and family? Or was everybody... Remainers or or Brexiteers in your no very much Remainers. Unfortunately, they were part of the the group who bought into all Brexiteers are racist, right? And, and I think there were some valid concerns around the European Union, yes, particularly the European Parliament, yes, and how autocratic it was. Yep, and I think it, it was very much painted as a black and white issue, and basically anyone who was seen to have any questions about Europe was immediately just a racist yes. and a xenophobe. Yes, and and I didn't. I I thought that you know a lot of people saw the benefits, but also saw that there were problems that needed res- resolving, mm. and there were those who just spun bullshit. Mm. about how much money we were paying to the EU and how much little or how little we were getting in return. Mm. I think at the time yeah. I wasn't sure how I would have voted at one point there, but I don't think there was enough genuine examination of the economic costs and what it was really <laughs> going to mean. And that was... No, it was... it was all roses. It was very much a glossed over. And, and you know, we'll worry about the details later. Let's just yes. get it done. Yes. So... Anyway, just saw a poll that said 50% of the of those in the UK would think it's a mistake. So 43% still think it was a good decision. Interesting. It's quite a high figure, I would have thought. So, Yeah, I mean, given the, the chaos that the UK is in, mm. the pound has tanked. Mm. I mean, that wasn't helped by, obviously, Liz Truss. But, mm. Yes. And anybody who's trying to do business... I suppose the the labourers, because there was a lot of Eastern Europeans who came in and probably forced down the price of labour. Yep. I'm, I'm not going to say unskilled because no, they were they were quite often tradies. Yep. Um, but, but, but also in health work, mm. you know, the nurses. Mum's mm. in a nursing home at the moment. Mm. And she's saying a lot of the nurses there are Eastern European. Mm. In the chat room, James says that The Economist covered the issue extensively, warning of the issues that the UK would face. So there we go. Yeah, which is not exactly read by the average trading. No. Yep. Mm. Okay, a little bit turning our attention to America. And they just got through some midterm elections and... Certain segments of the Republican Party are already complaining about the results and it'll be interesting to see 
how that develops. I've been saying for a Did while. Did you see the polling booth where there was corruption? No, I didn't, Joe. What was that? Oh, okay. So apparently the voting machines didn't work mm. and they were going to have to mark their ballot and then put it in a sealed box <laughs> and it was going to be opened later and a member of the Democrats and a member of the Republicans would then supervise the counting of the votes and how undemocratic that was. Clearly it's much safer just to feed it into a slot, into a machine where it disappears from and, human and, eyes forever. That would have been much better. The machine counts it correctly, yes. Yeah. Mm. I saw a tweet from this guy, Byron Clark, said, I feel like too many people don't recognise fascism because they think fascism will arrive selling oppression and tyranny. But if you're part of the privileged group, fascism is selling you safety, normalcy and tradition. And a lot of these people who are up in arms are just wanting to somehow return to a vision that they have of what America was white, prosperous, middle class. And Kinder, Kirchen, Kücher. What's that mean? Children cooking in church. Okay. In what, what the Nazis promised. Uh, there, yeah, there you go. So what is fascism? Are right, authoritarian, ultra-nationalist, political ideology or movement characterised by a dictatorial leader centralised autocracy, militarism, forced suppression of opposition, belief in a national, a natural social hierarchy. I reckon there are lots of Republicans tick a lot of those boxes already. Subordination of individual interests for the perceived good of the nation and race. So they might think that as Republican MAGA supporters... They are actually pro-individual interests, but they're quite happy for the police to beat people up and arrest them for no reason and a lot of individual freedoms to be curtailed for people of the wrong type. Well, so you yeah. know the saying, they want a government so small it can fit through your bedroom keyhole. <laughs> I hadn't heard that one. That's a good one, Joe. That's good. Write that one down. Let's see. Okay, so oh, I just found it. And, of course... Always with America now, it's always going to be intertwined with China because really the world now is about this battle between America and, and China. We've had America in charge for 70 years ruling the roost and it's becoming apparent to everybody that they're no longer going to maintain that dominating position where they can just bully everybody. So so I've sort of been complaining all the time about this, this reference to the Chinese and how it's almost... McCarthy-like, the way that we've turned on the Chinese when when it wasn't that long ago we were doing military or preparing to do military exercises with them. It wasn't that long ago that Xi Jinping was in the Australian Parliament giving a speech. It wasn't that long ago that the Liberal Party were criticising Labor because Labor didn't want to have an extradition treaty with China. I said, hang on a minute. And, and, and liberals criticised them and said, what are you doing? This is going to ruin our economic relationship with China. What are you talking about? That wasn't that long ago. It was only five or six years ago that we were that liberals wanted to do an extradition treaty with China and have, military have operations. Have you read any Tom Clancy? Hey? Have you read any Tom Clancy? No. So no. the hunt for Red October was 
famous oh, one. Okay, I've seen the movie. Yeah. He was the writer, very much militaristic, you know, lots of army books. One of his books called The Bear and the Dragon, mm-hmm. he envisaged a newly free uh, Russia, you know, no, no longer communist, right, being attacked by China who were after their resources. Right. And America piling in on the side of the Russians oh. against the Chinese. Clearly a work of fiction. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, yeah. I, see, I saw this video. I've, I've tried to make it relevant to all that discussion, but let me just grab it now and, and I'll, I'll put it up. So I think it's just an interesting blast from the past. In recognising a communist, physical appearance counts for nothing. If he openly declares himself to be a communist... We take his word for it. If a person consistently reads and advocates the views expressed in a communist publication, he may be a communist. If a person supports organizations which reflect communist teachings or organizations labeled communist by the Department of Justice, she may be a communist. If a person defends the activities of communist nations while consistently attacking the domestic and foreign policy of the United States, she may be a communist. If a person does all these things over a period of time, he must be a communist. But there are other communists who don't show their real faces, who work more silently. I think Scott Morrison was trying to get that rerun while he was in power. I particularly like the fact that if you protest against the KKK, you must be a communist. Yes. At that last scene, they were marching against the KKK. Just, just the way. And that... Therefore, to be a good, a good anti-communist American, you must support the KKK. Yeah. Just the way Australia turned on China. Just, just had a McCarthyist feel to it, just a, a sort of a propaganda feel to it to me. What else have I got here? USA Update, episode 363. So the USA has warned Australia against joining a landmark treaty banning nuclear weapons. So this treaty is only a recent one about banning nuclear weapons and... We have previously voted against it and the Albanese's government shifted our position and we've now abstained. So with this particular treaty, it's a blanket ban on developing, testing, stockpiling, using or threatening to use nuclear weapons or helping other countries carry out such activities. I would have thought that's something we should be in favour of. And the US told Australia, what the hell are you doing? So there'll be pressure on Australia from the US and see how that pans out. I watched the documentary recently on a physics equation called the Fast Fourier Transform. The, fa- the, saying the what? Div- fast Fourier Transform. Okay. And it's used, amongst other things, for splitting out complex waveforms into their component parts. And they were saying it was designed originally to determine from seismic measurements whether a nuclear test had taken place or not. Right. Yep. And one of the reasons why in the 19, late 1940s, America wanted to ban all development of nuclear weapons because they realised the, the harm. But because they could only detect uh, land and sea blasts, they couldn't detect underground blasts. 
because they didn't have the ability to decode the information from seismographs. Mm. That that was excluded from the, the non-proliferation treaties. Because they knew they could secretly do it underground and, and nobody would catch no, them. No, they, they knew they had the technology. So, yeah, basically the mm. Russians and whoever else could do it underground and there was no way of measuring. Right. So they had no way of knowing whether a country was developing nuclear weapons if they destroyed their own stockpile. Mm. And so that basically put an end to the destruction of nuclear weapons. Mm. So it, it sounds like this treaty has nothing to do with existing stuff. And the US Embassy in Canberra said the treaty would not allow for US extended deterrence relationships, which are still necessary for international peace. And this is a reference to Australia relying on American nuclear forces to deter any nuclear attack on Australia, the so-called nuclear umbrella, even though Australia does not have any of its own atomic weapons. So, anyway, what, none of it is surprising, is it? Midterms, still up for grabs. Looks like last time I saw the Democrats were going to hold on to the Senate, probably. They've... Probably got 50 of yep. the 100 seats. Yep. So they need 51 for a clear majority. They could have a hung parliament or a hung mm. Senate. But in that case... Kamala Harris. Kamala has the deciding vote. Mm. So Senate's important for appointing lots of people to lots of positions, one of its roles. But it looks like they'll probably just lose the House. But in the end, mm. in any event... It, Typically in the midterm elections, this is sort of halfway through a president's term, there's always a backlash historically yeah. against the president who won the election two years earlier. So Biden actually did remarkably well and did not suffer the normal backlash. But, you know, I had in my notes here, does it matter which side wins anyway? Really? And I had, only if you want to terminate a pregnancy or wipe out a student loan. And the student loan won. So... Biden passed laws about wiping out the student loan and that's been successfully challenged in the courts and no doubt there's more appeals to come, but at least one court ruled it invalid to be wiping out these student loans. So may not go through. So the only yeah, Because, you know, hmm. we should wipe out the, the loans to yeah. the major financial companies but not to small individual people. Indeed. When you... So if effectively then, what's the difference between these two parties? Is is They're lockstep on foreign policy and re really it's just abortion law. It's about what else is different between these two, realistically? Not a lot, is there? Is there? Yeah, socialised medicine, the Democrats are trying to creep towards it. There are slightly better distance for people. And I believe on the environment, right? the Democrats are slightly stronger Yeah, in terms of the EPA. But probably just talk, not you know, in actual real stuff. You know, they'll, I don't think they're actually really going to do anything or really want to. It's just, it's just talk. The only thing they really want to do something about is abortion law and the rest mm -hmm. uh, will we'll make all the right noises but probably don't care that much, I don't think. Seems to me. Oh, and minimum wage. Okay. All right. 
Democrats in favour of that. Mm. A raise yeah. in the minimum wage yeah. because okay. it hasn't gone up since '92. Yeah, some ridiculous amount yeah. of time anyway. Still seven dollars fifty in some places. Mm. Rob, why did the polls get it wrong again? Because it seemed like the majority of polls were predicting a red wave. You know, this sort of typical backlash against the sitting president or the sitting president's party. And there was a tweet by this guy, Ben Collins, who said, talking about the polls, before the next election, you might want to find a better way to poll anyone under the age of 30, since they would rather pick up a pinless grenade than a call from an unknown number. Is this true, Joe? Under 30s? If it's an unknown number, they just ignore it? Yeah, interestingly enough, I was involved in the periphery of a one of those tertiary education sectors over here that basically sell visas for money right and they were they were trying to talk to their students and they had banks and banks of mobile phone dialers because their students wouldn't answer a call from a landline but they would from a mobile phone is that right mm-hmm. there you go so all their outbound calls were made from mobile numbers because their students wouldn't pick up otherwise good story joe so the theory is when you're doing polling, which of course is relying on phone calls, that this younger generation who voted overwhelmingly for the Democrats just would never have picked up the phone to answer the poll question and therefore were not represented in the polling is kind of what this guy is suggesting. don't know if that's true, but yeah, interesting. Mm. It surprised me. Mm. So there were some exit polls by CNN. And let me see if I can bring up... Well, Joe, I'll let you bring up some of these. By gender. So if I say Republicans... Yeah. Sorry, are you going to say something first of all? Well, I was going to say the way they phrased some of these was mm. they lost support when they were... In every single demographic, mm-hmm. votes went from the Democrats to the Republicans. Yes. It was just greater in some ways, and they said... They lost support in this one, but they gained support in the other one, but they still lost votes. Yes. Um, so in, in no place did I see the number of Democrats, the number of people wanting to vote Democrat increase. It was just the amounts. Yes. True. Yep. They're in the show notes, bunch of graphs, and, and there's a comparison between... Um, 2018 and 2022, so four-year difference. And in 2018, men, Republican plus four, means that overall the number of men who voted Republicans versus Democrats was 4% more were Republican, okay? And that became plus 14, so 14% amongst men were voting Republican rather than Democrat. Amongst women, four years ago, it was Democrat plus 19, and in this recent one, Democrat plus 8. So you're right, so Joe. So 10% shift in men yep. and 11% shift in women. Indeed. Both of them dropped so the support. Yep. Women by 1%, and you've got to wonder what their margin of error is. Yeah. So I, I think they're trying to infer more than you possibly can. Yeah. Interesting, though. I mean, males, Republican plus 14, and women mm-hmm. are Democrats plus eight. It's quite a difference yes. in the genders. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
you know, Joe, I might suggest that women are just smarter in America, but then Shay would want to disagree with me, call out bullshit again, so I won't do that. Well, I, I think abortion was part of it because yep. abortion has been a key part of their platform for a while. Yeah. And also contraceptive in general. Yes. Because they voted against the whole including it in your health insurance. Mm. Yep. But also I would say that women tend to be less well-paid and therefore tend to vote, Yeah, the less well-paid tend to vote more left-leaning. Yep, more likely to be lower class perhaps. Mm -hmm. By age, the 18 to 29-year-olds were plus 28 for Democrats. But four years ago, they were plus 35. So mind you, Joe, there's a lot more young people now. When you see other statistics, so in that there's more of them. You know, so that percentage, it did drop from 35, plus 35 to plus 28, but there's a lot of them. So they're starting to outnumber the boomers now, these younger generations, or at least that effect of boomer population is waning. I, I think in the number of people who voted, mm. more younger people turned out. Yeah. So it was in the 18 to 29 it equaled or was more than the number of people from 65 or older. Yeah. So if you're 18 to 29, Democrats plus 28. If you're 65 years and older, Republican plus 12. Now, the 65 years or older, I'm surprised. Mm-hmm. Because they were the demographic most likely to have been hit by COVID. And yeah. it was the Republicans who would have died probably at a rate of two to one. Yes. So I would have expected a bigger loss of Republican voters in that in that demographic. I've been conditioned to blame Biden anyway for it. Oh, maybe. So, yeah. Well, the condition that, that, that Trump actually did a good job in terms of COVID. So by race and ethnicity, white men, Republican plus 28, white women, Republican plus 8, black women, Democrat plus 78, and black men, Democrat, plus 65. Latino women, Democrat, plus 33. Latino men, Democrat, plus 8. Some Latino men can be quite conservative, but some Latino voters in general are more conservative than the African-Americans. So Yeah, I saw with the Latino men, a lot of them are Cuban. Yes. And they have a horror of anything that could possibly be communist because yeah. they come from Cuba. Yeah. And they've been indoctrinated. Well, that too. Yeah. Urban-rural divide. Urban, Democrat plus 17. Rural, Republican plus 29. And education. Put it this way. White voters, college degree, Democrat plus three. White voters, no degree, Republican plus 34. <laughs> That's big... So it all fits. All, what, are, what does all this add up to? That if you are male, old... And no degree. With no degree and you're white and you live in a rural area, then you'll be Republican. Then see Kyle? Yes. So, yeah, all of that stuff. I've got a picture of... There's just that one of Katy Perry there, Joe. We'll put that mm -hmm. one up. You can put that one up. I'll see if I can find it. Hang yeah, on. it's it's got to rattle through those graphs. This is a picture of I don't know where she was on this particular picture. 
Yeah, I but, wonder if it's taken out of context. Oh, I'm sure it is, but it's going to be good for a joke anyway. So can't find it. Oh, oh. hang on. Okay. One too many. Yeah, go back one. I got a little excited. All right. There's Katy Perry. Katy Perry, after all. Guess what? She voted Republican. Did she, though? I mean, she kissed a girl and she liked it. Yeah, I think she's changed. So, no, she was quite right. vocal as Republican. And because her ex-partner, who was that guy? The... She was married to uh, Russell Brand. Yes, and he's supposedly oh, he's lefty. Libertarian yes. lunatic. Yes. Anyway, they're not together he's anymore. He's deep in the conspiracies. Yes, he is. He's got a podcast, all sorts of crazy stuff happening. I think the gurus, the uh, decoding yes. the gurus, I think, did a bit on Russell Brand at one stage. Yeah. I think I preferred him when he was on drugs. Mm. One of these guys who gish, gish gallops, though, he's got selected phrases at the top of his head and he just rattles off things really quickly in a way of trying to illustrate that he's intelligent and smart, but I think it's just done in a gish gallop way where he just throws stuff out. He's not really genuinely trying to engage, but anyway, that's just me. That was Katy Perry. Okay, Ricks. So... BRICS, we mentioned last week, is the uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. So it's not a free trade block, but members do coordinate on trade matters and they've established their own bank called the New Development Bank. And China has also set up its own bank, the Asia Infrastructure Bank. And those two banks collectively have $100 billion and they're set up as a sort of alternative to the IMF, which, of course, will lend money to poor developing countries, but on the basis that they open up their economies and allow them to be raped by multinationals from the West and force them to do all sorts of things that are actually bad for their economies. We've talked about any number of times in the past, but essentially the IMF says... You've got to raise taxes, you've got to cut social services, you've got to sell off your national assets, so your water infrastructure or other, any infrastructure you've got, you've got to sell it. And um, by the way, you're borrowing from us in US dollars, so if your currency tanks in any way compared to the US dollar, you'll really be screwed and you'll need even more money from us. And, and, oh, and you've got to allow our international companies to come into your country and buy up whatever they want to buy. And All that's of the bananas. Yes, and that's the recipe that the IMF imposes on these countries, which is just a recipe to keep them under the thumb. So BRICS has got their own banks set up to do a competition to the International Monetary Fund. And so I think, let me just, where is that? Bring up this graph of what BRICS looks like, I think. Yeah, so that's what, this is a proposed BRICS expansion is on the screen. So essentially, there's a bunch of countries who are looking to join this group. So the countries that are looking to join are Algeria, Argentina, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Egypt, Afghanistan, and Kazakhstan, Nicaragua, Nigeria, Senegal, Thailand, United Arab Emirates, they're all sniffing around, wanting to be part of BRICS, and that's a real danger for the US in terms of maintaining control because the IMF, and it's the way it operates, has been a big part of US maintaining its 
control over the world system. <coughs> and let me just move this one across here so I can read it on its own. Hang on one second. I'm coming off the mic a bit, aren't I? Hang on. So there's some interesting things to do with China. So really, we mentioned last week about the US trying to screw down in terms of chips, for example, where they're saying to the world, must not sell these machines that will allow China to build these high-quality computer chips and other sanctions that the US wants to impose on China. And one of the problems for the US in trying to get other countries to join them in these sanctions is a lot of these countries are doing a calculation and they're thinking, well, we do a lot of trade with China and not so much with the USA, so why would we piss off the people that we do most of our trade with for you guys? And money talks. So on the screen is an image of US-China trade war, and this is 1980, and it shows in blue which countries most uh, uh, their biggest trading partner was America. And it shows in red the countries whose biggest trading partner was China. And you'll see that there were very few countries that were red and most of it was blue. And that was 1980. If you then go to 2001, you will see a minor expansion to Africa and the Middle East and some of the sort of stand countries, I guess, in Middle Europe. And then going forward to 2018... When you look at the world map in terms of trade, China just completely dominates. So it's only been a matter of, of 40 years where it's gone from what was essentially... Actually, maybe that's on the next slide. Oh, let's see if that turns up. No, it doesn't. Essentially, in 40 years, most countries, that most of their trade was with the USA. And now, for most countries, most of their trade is with China. And that's what's going to be the tipping point where these people say, no, not going to do what you want. Sorry. Um, love you, America, like a brother, but uh, only so far. So see how that pans out. Let me just muck around with some windows on the screen here. What else have I got here? Not sure whether to show this or not. What have I got in my clips? Where are we at, Joe? 8.53. That's long enough. Mm -hmm. I've got some clips, but if I get into those, it'll just keep keep going. One of them's titled Chinese Anal Searches. That's kind of tempting to show that one. But Go on. <laughs> I mentioned earlier that Drew Pavlo, I was the one Twitter person I follow who has a paid for his blue tick, and he's just notoriously anti-China. And he basically found this image of this woman who was being arrested by police with hands behind her back, and he wrote here, let's see how CCP supporters like Daniel Drumble try defend Chinese police pinning people to the ground while performing anal swab tests in public. You would think this must be indefensible, but you never know. It's a picture that he's seen in on Twitter again, I guess. And you only have to look closely at the image. And the woman, the anal swab is actually basically a zip tie, a white plastic zip tie, and her hands are being tied behind her back. And I can't think of, well, no, sorry, I can think of a nickel test. 
that requires an anal swab, and that's to see whether you've got bowel cancer. Yeah. And I can't imagine the police going around arresting people to check whether or not they've got bowel cancer. No, and, and it's just clear from the picture with the positioning of the hands and the positioning of the of the zip tie. This is this is nowhere near this woman's They're just arresting her. Yes, and Drew is demonstrating a lack of knowledge of anatomy as well. There's a lot of other things on this one, so mm-hmm. picture in the show notes. So, all right. <laughs> Thanks in the chat room for being there. That's an hour and a half. That'll see us through. Not sure we'll be on the agenda for next week. It'll be something similar. Not sure. We'll talk to you then. Bye for now. Bye all.